Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, and Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. First from Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Now from Matthew. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and there, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Thanks. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Derek. Good morning. Tell me uh, if you have around your house any of these things, and just raise your hand as I mention them. See these. Boom. Cassette tapes. Uh, the number goes down. Uh, MP3 players. Number is even lower. Uh, what about an iPod? Okay. An 8-track. Two. Great. Uh, jukebox. One. Yes. All right. We got it. Thank you, Robert. Those are the modes in which playlists have been compiled and shared over the years, 75 plus years to be in fact. In recent years, we have the advent of such things as Spotify and Amazon Music and Apple Music as well. And in case you didn't see as you came in this morning, for those of you here in person and for those of you online, I'll give you some instructions in a second. There are two displays in the lobby and we want to invite you to write your favorite uh, Christmas hymn, Christmas carol, Christmas song. Don't worry. All I want for Christmas is you. It's already taken. Uh, and thank, thanks be to God, is by the newsboys. <laughs> Amen. Um, but we want to invite you to write your favorite play, uh, song on that uh, piece of plexiglass, that display. And you can also go to the Christmas page on the digital bulletin and you can uh, let us know about your song there. And what we're going to do is add them all together to a Spotify playlist so you can join in and follow that Spotify playlist in order to get in the season of Christmas and Advent. So I want to invite you to do that. But 
playlists have been compiled over the years, and there are many playlists. Playlists for driving, short distances, maybe long distances. Playlists for exercise and playlists for background noise. Playlists to help you fall asleep and playlists to help you stay awake. You name it. You can find a playlist for anything. And if you can't find what you want, make your own. Playlists can define a season, a mood, a moment, a relationship for us. From high school, I remember it was a monumental thing when you gave a burn CD or a mixtape to the person that you liked. You included songs in which you uh, thought about that person and those songs reminded you of that person. And you, as you're giving it to them, you hope that they like those songs too. And you hope that they liked you as well. (laughs) Through the ages, songs have been used to tell stories and convey beliefs and express our emotions. Songs have this funny thing about them. They can put us in a mood or get us out of a mood. And songs have a way of sticking with us, even if we don't want them to. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head before? You might have one uh, that our band just played right now, or maybe something that you heard on the radio in your head, especially a song that you don't really want to have stuck in your head. Maybe it's a catchy melody or a good tune, but seriously, if I hear I want a hippopotamus or Christmas one more time this season, I might lose it. Do you like that song? I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't. Um, Anyways. We might go years after hearing a particular tune, yet once it's played, it's if as it's been etched deep within us. And that's the focus of our new sermon series, Christmas Playlist. To have the songs of the season, the carols of Christ be etched on our hearts and embodied throughout our lives. The songs that we sing about the season not only get us into the spirit of the season, but they remind us and they prepare us of all that is to come. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, as we pause from the busyness of this year, may we stay focused on you. And as we join in this new season and the life of the church together, uh, may we patiently, but may we expectantly await your coming. The return of the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. God, you are our rock and our redeemer, our refuge and our strength and our savior. And we pray this in the name of Christ, the one who has come and the one who will return. Alleluia. Amen. So what songs are on your Christmas playlist, if you had to define them? The songs that uh, you hear, it reminds you uh, that this is the most wonderful time of the year. Two weeks ago, Billboard magazine published a list of the top 100 of all time Christmas songs. And Billboard will continue to update this list every Tuesday because it's already changed. But when I first looked at it, I want to share these top five songs with you. And when I first looked at it, they were songs that were like pop songs and rock songs, not Christmas carols, not Christmas hymns, the sacred music in this time of year. But here's the top five. Number five was Ben Crosby's White Christmas. It conjures up the classic images of Christmas seasons that have gone by, the ones like we used to know. Number four was Last Christmas. Do you know that song? Last Christmas I gave you my heart and the very next day... 
You gave it away. Nothing says Christmas like a broken heart, right? Number three, Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Did you know that you need to cut a slit in a chestnut before roasting it in the fire? Otherwise, you are chucking a live hand grenade in the fire. Boom! Number two was Christmas Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. It's a timeless hit from the 1963 era. Christmas, you should be here with me. Baby, 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 please, please, please come home. Yeah, you might not recognize it either. (laughs) Finally, number one, much to our collective disappointment, Mariah Carey. (laughs) All I want for Christmas is you. Seriously. Number one. I await your hate or sympathy emails tomorrow morning. I understand it's a popular song, but seriously, it's been overplayed and it's just become excessive. More than songs about a jolly old elf or a reindeer that has a red nose. (sighs) Gives me the heebie-jeebies. What I found interesting about Billboard's top 100 Christmas list is that nearly every song, especially the top five at that time, depicts Christmas as a time for longing and wishing and hoping and dreaming, dreaming of a white Christmas, longing for a loved one to come back, wishing for nostalgia for a day to return that has gone by, hoping for a sense of joy and love and peace in this life. Songs and Christmas go hand in hand, and oftentimes those songs are about longing and dreaming for brighter days ahead. And that's exactly what the season of Advent is all about, after all. It's about recognizing that the world as it is now is not all that it can be. Today, we don't only begin a new sermon series, but we begin a new season in the life of the church, Advent, in the Latin word adventus, and it means coming near or coming towards or coming close. Advent is a time that we have our memory and hope mingled together as we look ahead to Bethlehem with our hearts and our eyes joined together with those of the ancients, longing and hoping for the arrival of the Messiah, an anointed one of God to bring about peace and righteousness and fulfillment of God's intentions in the world, waiting for God. And we as Christians have this hope. We wait for this hope of Jesus' return to usher in the completion of God's work on earth as it is in heaven. Advent is a reminder and a celebration and a foretaste of what is to come. We remember God's promises to the Israelites that a Messiah would come to be with us, to deliver us from, to save us from slavery and bondage and sin and evil and death. And then we celebrate Jesus' actual coming here to this earth to usher in the kingdom of God and the promises of God that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we wait expectantly waiting for Jesus to return, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, Jesus, to come to us and return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen?
The first song in our Christmas playlist is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which there are red books in the pew backs in front of you, uh, and that's the United Methodist Hymnal. Those of you who are online, just go to Google really quick uh, and type in UMH211, uh, or just type in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We start with this hymn because it's likely one of the oldest hymns uh, pertaining to Advent or Christmas. It comes from the 8th century, 1,200 years ago, and is comprised of seven verses or stanzas, each with a messianic description or title from the scriptures. All of them prophesy and foreshadow Jesus' coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, wisdom from on high. O come, great Lord of might. O come, key of David. Come, bright and morning star. O come, king of nations. When we sing this hymn, we're putting ourselves in the shoes of those in the first century, like a a Jew in the first century who is longing to be free from the exile, free from oppression, free from suffering. In each verse, there's not only talk and a depiction of Jesus' birth, that the Messiah has come, but there's also an eye towards Jesus' return as well. Isaiah, as Derek read for us this morning, prophesied that the virgin will bear a son. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came to the earth for the first time, he was a ransom that was paid to set Israel free, not just from human captivity, but free from their sin and free from their brokenness. Emmanuel was the ultimate deliverer that they had longed for, that they had longed to see. And friends, those promises are true for us. Jesus has come and will come again to free us and forgive us of our sin, our brokenness and our death. And offer us a new life. Amen? But we can't really begin to await patiently, really long for the second coming of Christ until we begin to see the world that as it is, is not currently all that it can or should be. And we don't truly become excited about the second coming of Christ until we begin to learn and lament our own sin. We're not meant to feel completely at home in the midst of our brokenness and our sin, but Christ comes and meets us in our brokenness and in our sin. Amen? Amen? Amen. As the hymn, 2.11, if you haven't found it yet, as the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, anticipates, there will be a day when our Emmanuel, our Messiah, will bring an end to all that it is, all of this suffering. My friends, this is not just a myth or a fantasy, but this is our future reality as believers in Christ. Because our longing will never be lacking of great joy. The hymn continues, rejoice, rejoice. The chorus culminates in this empathetic sense of joy that accompanies the longing. It says, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel is only mentioned two times in the biblical witness. First in Isaiah chapter 7 and again in Matthew's gospel chapter 1. And it talks about the the one who has to come, the one who is coming, the Messiah, the hopeful anticipation. And if you haven't already, I know you might be juggling two books, the hymnal and the Bible, but uh, you can put the hymnal aside and open up the Bible to Isaiah chapter uh, 7 verses 10 through 16. 
It was about 730 years before the time of Jesus, and this dude named Isaiah, a guy, was put in charge. He he was made the king of Judah. He was a young king, and Judah at the time was a tiny country and tiny kingdom. And two opposing kingdoms had come to uh, King Ahaz of Judah, and he said, Listen, we want to join together with you as we try to defeat a larger country, a bigger kingdom known as Assyria. And so Israel and Syria are coming together, and notice, it might get a little confusing, Assyria, Syria, but Assyria is the larger country, Syria is the smaller country. And so Syria and Israel came together to join forces to rebel against the bigger country, Assyria, and they wanted Ahaz and Judah to join in with them. But King Ahaz refused. He said, no, I'm not going to join you as we fight against Assyria. And so God sends Isaiah to give Ahaz a sign to warn him that, listen, you really made them mad and now they're coming for you. But listen, don't be afraid because God's got you. In verse 10, it says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says this, I will not ask for a sign. No, 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 I will not put the Lord to the test. And so Isaiah comes to King Ahaz again with this message. And he says, listen, God wants to give you a sign. Seriously, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Whatever you want, name it. God just wants to give you a sign to help you remember that God is with you and to reassure you that God will be with you whatever with whatever happens ahead. No matter what they are planning, no matter what they are conspiring, God will be with you. You don't have to be afraid. But Ahaz says no. I'm good. I will not put the Lord to the test. The reason why he probably doesn't ask for a sign from God is because he's already made up his mind about what he's going to do. He's probably already decided and determined that he's going to give his allegiance to the Assyrians, the bigger country, the pagan empire of the Assyrians. Because the Assyrians will come and save him from his enemies. But God says, listen, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. As a way to encourage you, as a way to reassure you. And Isaiah says, listen, a young woman will conceive and bear a child who will be named Emmanuel. God is with you. And before Emmanuel was old enough to tell the right from wrong, Isaiah says on God's behalf, before he was eating curds and honey, the cause for your fear, Ahaz, would be relieved, gone, forgotten. This was a sign that Ahaz needed to hear and needed to see, even though he said he didn't want to hear or see it. God showed up anyway. Some 700 years later, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, knowing this prophetic word from Isaiah, says the same exact thing, right? He says, a young woman will conceive and bear a child who is to be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Does that sound familiar? We just heard it in Isaiah, and now Matthew says it. Now Matthew continues, and he says, he, this child, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. And be a reminder that no matter what happens, we are not alone. Amen? In this promise about the presence of God with us, we have this hope, this immutable voice, this blessed assurance that even in the darkest of times, this promise of God has been ushered in by this onset, this coming of Jesus into our world. God putting flesh on and dwelling among us. And yet we're still waiting 
waiting for Jesus to return, waiting for the end of sin and death, waiting for Jesus to show up again. But in the waiting, we have to remember these stories, that we don't wait in doubt, that we don't wait in fear, that we don't wait in worry, but we are waiting in anxious and confident expectation and anticipation, knowing that rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to us. Jesus has already shown up, and yet we await his return. Amen? Now, I want you to flip a little bit farther in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. In this gospel that we heard this morning, Jesus gives a prophetic parable about his second coming. And it's quite strange to hear Jesus talk about his return when he hasn't even left yet. It's like those in-laws at this time of season who, oh, let's plan when I'm coming back. No, you haven't even left yet. I love you, Phyllis. That's my mother-in-law's name. Seriously, you can come at any time if you're watching. I I really want you to come. But there are other in-laws that are like that. Amen? Yeah, you didn't say anything there, did you? (laughs) In our gospel lesson for this morning from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives this parable about his second coming. And he says that he's wanting to teach us and, and tell us and prepare us for all that is to come. As he said in the gospel of John chapter 14, he's going to prepare a place for us. And then he'll come again to be with us. But Jesus says about that day, about that hour, about that time, no one knows, not the angels in heaven nor the son of man, but only the father knows. And so Jesus, as a way of preparing us for all that is to come, he continues in this prophetic parable from Matthew 24, and he starts talking about Noah. He says in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and they knew nothing about the flood as it came and swept them away. Jesus says that there is a time of preparation that we must go through, but the coming of the Son of Man will come in the blink of an eye. Jesus moves from a historic reminder to something that his listeners would understand in that moment. He says folks are going about doing their jobs, doing their daily routine, but wait, in a blink of an eye, they will be gone. Forty Verses 40 and 41 say two men will be in the field. Another will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a hand meal. One will be taken and one will be left. Giving us a warning to be alert, to be faithful, so that when the Son of Man comes, and here's the main theme again, right? We don't know when the Son of Man will come, but He is coming. It's a promise, it's an assurance that this is not all that there is, that the Son of Man will come yet again. And in case we don't understand that, with three parables, Jesus gives us one more. He says, if the owner of a house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. While the homeowner's vigilance may be born out of fear of being robbed as people of faith, we are not merely called to be spectators and speculators about God's future plans but to rest assured that God is coming and that God will usher in a kingdom where the poor are made kingdom owners, where the hungry are made full, where the reviled are brought to a place of honor. We can live in ease knowing that God who is good on his promises will be good yet again. We don't need to guess when God will show up. In fact, we can't. This passage is about hope. 
It's about knowing that there is a world coming into fruition by the Son of Man who enters not only when he is invited, but also when we try our best to ignore him. When we try our best to lock the doors and not let him in. When we are at our best, we look towards the kingdom of God and doing what Matthew's gospel chapter 25 tells us. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, inviting a stranger, clothing the naked, looking after the sick and in prisons. And even when we don't, even when we can't, even when we won't do that, even when we are stuck in our complacency and scared of reaching out to other people, God will show up anyways. Amen? Here's your sign. God will give it to you anyways. God will break into our complacency and in our world. God just isn't in this sanctuary or in the temple. God has the capacity to show up in every single place. God is always at work in the world. After creation, God just didn't retire, but God kept doing something in our world, bringing something out of nothing, light out of darkness, form out of chaos, birthing a new you and me out of the old. And my friends, even still, God is not done with us yet. Amen? So how do we get prepared? How do we stay awake? How do we await the Lord to come again? Each day is a day of judgment. And we need to be asking ourselves, am I living the way that Christ wants me to live? Am I trusting in Christ alone? Whatever you are doing, when the time comes for the Son of Man, you won't have a chance to change your mind. But, even though it will be sudden and even though it will be final, we must live expectantly awaiting for Christ to return. We don't live in anxiety. We don't live in fear of being left behind. We don't wait passively. But we are actively pursuing God's kingdom always. With our hearts and our lives reconciled to God. Living out our faith expectantly. Because our hope is found in God alone. Going about our daily routines, but yes, still hungering for God's kingdom. This first Sunday of Advent, as Paul and Rachel pointed out, is the Sunday of hope. We live in a hope that God keeps God's promises. And we develop that art of watchful listening and living as we faithfully pursue the purposes which God has for us here and now. Knowing that God will come and make all things new. No one, no one knows the time and hour and place. Well, we do know the place. Only the Father in heaven. Not the Son, nor the angels. God is good on God's promises. Amen? On this table, we have a sign of the hope of Christ. The broken body, the spilled blood. It's not a sign of defeat, but through the resurrection, it is a sign of hope that we need to tuck away in our hearts and spread throughout the world. My friends, death is not the last word. Hope is. Resurrection is. Life eternal is. Amen? And so in a moment, we're going to invite you to come and to taste and to know that the promise is still good and the covenant is still trustworthy and that the hope that we have as Christians is founded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And even when you can't hold on much longer, there is still a hope. Because Christ has come and Christ will come again. Amen? One last thing.
The early part of the New Testament, it was written to encourage folks for the coming of Christ. Paul's first letter was to the Thessalonians. And they were waiting. They were waiting and waiting and waiting because they thought that Christ was going to come back and return in their age, in their era. And their lamps, so to say, their lamps of hope were growing strangely dim. It was about a decade or so after Jesus' ascension and they went back and they left their jobs, they left their homes again, and they sat on the Mount of Olives, that hilltop facing, uh, waiting for Jesus' return. And Paul says this, be found faithful in your lives that when he returns, you need to encourage one another, lift your drooping spirit, strengthen your weak knees because the time is coming. Don't just sit there staring at the clouds in the heavens, but do something. Live out your faith. And so my friends, today we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen.